Welcome back to the Syracuse Football Podcast. I'm Stephen Bailey, joined as always by Julian Wiggum, and we're here to talk about Syracuse's 52-33 win over Western Michigan. Kind of a crazy game with some injuries and turnovers, and you know Syracuse kind of pulled away late. Uh, just to kind of jump in, Julian, you know what was what was kind of your takeaway from the game? What are you thinking about immediately after watching it? Yeah, so initially uh, my biggest question was uh, saying that Cisco was going to be out. Uh, that they were going to have, uh, Melifon was going to be out. Uh, I was just wondering how the secondary would hold up. I know they were supposed to be a strength this season, um, and they, you know, uh, throughout this year have kind of showed some lapses. I uh, was wondering how they would look. And then biggest deal for me this entire game was, would Syracuse win this convincingly? It wasn't so much, and we talked about this in the last, last podcast, it wasn't so much about getting the win, in my opinion, I want to see if they could win uh, convincingly. Win uh, and make me feel good about the rest of the season, you know, because games against Western Michigan, Holy Cross, there's only so much you can get. And the expectation for me was that they win both games. But I was hoping that they would win in a, in a much better fashion than they did. I thought Western Michigan gave away some opportunities. Um, and a lot of the big plays that Syracuse managed, I thought that was just a matter of just being a better team. In my opinion, like the uh, – the Mo Neal touchdown, uh, where he was able to bounce around the line and cut back and, and get in for for a score, uh, that's just being faster than everybody else. It's not necessarily that. Uh, oh my goodness, the offensive line is playing much better. Oh my goodness, the scheme is is going so much better. I mean, he's just a better athlete than what West Michigan is able to field. Um, if you look at the offensive linemen for Syracuse compared to the defensive linemen for Western Michigan, which was the case last year, they're much bigger. You know, so. Uh, I was expecting this game to be a blowout. I, I like that they were able to put up so many points. Um, again, another expectation of mine. But the, the fact that West Michigan was able to hang around for as long as they did was really disappointing. And I hope that injuries played a much bigger part for Syracuse than anything. But, again, I'm, I'm still slightly uh, skeptical about this football team right now because of how well West, West Michigan was able to play despite uh, losing you know, some of their best players throughout the game. Yeah, I'm with you on that. You know, I don't think that that any aspect of this performance makes me feel more confident in the team's long long term outlook. Right? To me, it's still well. How are they going to look against NC State? And pr- probably better if you, if you have Cisco and Melifonwu back. Still no Sam Heckel. Still no McKinley Williams. We'll see on those guys. You know, we really don't have a great timetable for them. Um, But there's one thing that we talked about in the last podcast that kind of resonated with me. And you talked about, you know, when things aren't going right, it's easy for fights to kind of develop in a locker room. Is there something to be said for, like, just actually getting a win and, like, the difference between winning this game ugly and and losing it? And maybe, you know, how, how, how important is that? And do you think the season really could have spiraled if... Levante Bellamy doesn't fumble at the goal line, and the Western Michigan defensive back doesn't drop DeVito's interception, and, you know, Syracuse, there isn't a muff, muff punt, you know, all these things that kind of broke Syracuse's way. You know, that, that could have been even closer, and you wonder kind of would, would one and three have kind of broken this team? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a, a win mentally for a football team is, is the best thing that could happen. I think that was what was much needed today. Um when you're inside a locker room and, and you continue to rack up losses and whether you lose close or whether you lose by a blowout, sometimes it becomes very easy to point fingers. There's a lot of young guys on this football team who are playing major minutes right now. 
and it, it, there, it's very easy to point a finger like you're not doing what you're supposed to, you're not doing what you're supposed to. Yeah, well, I messed up, but you know, you are like, and it, it, it kind of bounces around the locker room and that negative morale when you constantly are, are, are taking in uh, losses. It certainly can divide a football team. Uh, have guys looking around, especially when they're college athletes too. So I mean, they're just the, the most uh, unpredictable variables ever. But when you start to win the team element starts to, to rise. You know, when you lose, everybody becomes individual. When you win, you come together and, and you start to, uh, the chemistry starts to build as a team. So there's a lot more to build on, especially after a win, uh, than there is from a loss because the morale is much higher. You guys, and the guys inside the locker room are saying, okay, we can do this, we can do that. It's, 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 kind of, it's, it's the same concept as momentum. When you do one thing right, all of a sudden, mentally, it seems much easier to do, even if in reality it isn't. And that mental aspect for an athlete, uh, whether it comes from uh, feeling good about what, what's coming up, feeling good about your last performance, having that confidence, all of those things contribute to next week's game and how well you practice throughout the week. So certainly when you win, and you guys do it as a team, and things bounce your way. It feels good on tape going back over. It's easier to learn from your mistakes. And I, I think a win this week, despite things bouncing their way, it, it was certainly much needed for that locker room and bringing them back together. You know, that's kind of my thought as well, because they've got close to three weeks here where you've got Holy Cross, which should, by, by all accounts, be a blowout. That should not be a game. We should see all the backups in there in the second half. You got a bye week, and then you got NC State at NC State Thursday, October tenth. So I, I think that confidence helps. And now I guess what I'm kind of thinking about as as I kind of transition away from game mode is all right, like what's you know what's what's next? You know what can you try and accomplish during that span? And and to me, aside from getting guys back, I still look at that offensive line. And and I haven't gotten a chance to rewatch the game from today, obviously, but. Tommy DeVito had the most time he's had all year, and, I, and of course some of that is a product of who they were going up against. So I haven't seen exactly how much pressure they had to pick up. Um, but, you know, to me that's still an encouraging sign for a group that's got three guys who are new to this lineup, three starters. And for Ryan Alexander to go out, we saw Patrick Davis come in at right tackle and hold his own for a little bit. Like, can you take much stock into what that group did today and – um, again, maybe mentally, now that they know what they have to do for two weeks, is is it easier to take that step forward? Uh, I'm not buying this off at the line for a dollar. <laughs> um, you know, it, 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 it's just, uh, I, I, they haven't proven anything to me yet. Uh, while I like their performance today, obviously much better. DeVito having time to look around, step up in the pocket, make great throws that we're used to seeing him make. Uh, I, I just can't quite say yes, this is a great game for the offensive line, or wow, this is a huge step. Um, if anything, that uh, a positive takeaway, though, it, it would be that, okay, up front, what Western Michigan gave you, you were able to handle. And then, then you can go back and look at the film and say, okay, this is what we got, this is how we got better. And I'm sure, and again, I haven't, I haven't done a second watch as well, but I'm sure uh, some of the blitz packages Western Michigan uh, tried to utilize this week. I'm sure they came from Clemson, a little bit from Maryland. I'm sure they, I'm sure they had parts of Maryland Clemson's game plan in there. So with the fact they were able to execute and sustain their blocks throughout the, the entire game, really, I think that's something that they can build on. I can't take much away from today's performance just because of who they were playing, but that's the key when you're playing a lesser opponent. You're supposed to dominate and dominate in a fashion where you can correct some of the mistakes 
that you've made in previous weeks. And I think that's what happened this week. So certainly something that you can feel good about is, okay, they look good against things that they've seen before. Uh, but my fear is once they start to get up against, you know, ACC talent again, and they start to, and other teams start to throw different uh, attacks at them, different blitz, uh, blitz schemes, are they going to be able to pick it up? Will that you start the show again? So not quite sold on this offensive line, but certainly some positives to take away from this week. Yeah, that's the biggest thing to me is, again, I wasn't watching exactly what the Broncos were doing up front. I'm sure they were trying to confuse them. I'm sure they were trying to to bring looks that, that maybe they, they hoped Syracuse wasn't ready for. And just by the fact that they got in front of them, like that is a huge step forward from the Clemson game. If you go back and watch that tape, I mean, it is almost unwatchable. You got – Three-man rushes against five and someone's getting in untouched or four on six and it's just, you know, so there's obviously when you are manned up, that's there's, there are problems in and of itself where those guys maybe aren't strong enough or old enough or you don't want to polish their technique, but there is something to be said for just getting in front of a guy and giving a quarterback even three seconds or 2.8 seconds to make a read. And I think for all the criticism Tommy DeVito has caught, you saw what he can actually do if he's got, you know, half a second of time. And no, he wasn't perfect. He should have been intercepted in the second half, but the deep ball to Tristan was really nice. Um, And we actually saw him run, which I I, I thought might have opened things up a little bit. Do do you think as a defender, when you see a quarterback go for 60 yards on an option keeper early, does that linger with, with the guys in the run game? Uh, A little bit, especially if you're a, a linebacker or a safety with run responsibilities. You're you're, uh, you're watching for it. You're saying to yourself, "Okay, I know he's got some some wheels on him. I know he can scramble." Uh, when you and it's really it really plays a big part when you're game planning. And if teams have already seen him run, they'll start to game plan, keep a spy on him. And I don't think it'll happen at the level that uh, Dungy used to see them. But Dino Babers hopes not. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So. Uh, when you got DeVito in there, and he's showing the ability, too. And I've always thought he had that ability. We saw that last year against Western Michigan. I thought there were some instances against Notre Dame as well uh, that he had some feet on him. Like he's not, He doesn't want to take off. He doesn't want. It doesn't seem like he wants to run. I think he's more of a 80-20 in terms of passing and throwing, or, uh, passing and running the football. Uh, but the fact that he has the ability to do so, I think, gives you more options on offense. And when you have that read option or – he has to be able to pull it down and take off. You certainly have to account for that, whether you're a defensive end, um, an outside linebacker, uh, peeking into the backfield. So there's certainly some elements when the quarterback has the ability to run that aids your offense. And as a defense, you certainly have to take account for it. Yeah, I, I, I'm kind of in agreement with you there. I think some of it's personnel, but also, you know, I think any 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 team is going to be sitting on the back in those situations until Tommy shows them he can pull it. Um, just talking with Dino Babers after the game, I think it's clear Dino still wants Tommy to be pretty conservative with those decisions. He was happy with how he handled them tonight, but you know he's emphasizing getting Tommy healthy through the season. So I, I think for for people who are watching, keep in mind that it might not always just be Tommy who's who's handing the ball off. You know he might be a little getting a little bit about of that push from the coaching staff. Um, speaking of the coaching staff, one thing that did jump out to me, and I, I want to give them a little bit of credit for, is the red zone play calling. You know, we kind of got on them, rightfully so, the last couple weeks. I mean, that putting in the jumbo package against Clemson, to me, made zero sense. You got the bootleg on third down, tight end slip finally on fourth down. 
uh, never had a chance. And we think back to today, I, I like the, um, the little option pitch they had to Aaron Hackett for one touchdown, and they ran a really yep. nice route combination with Elmore and Hackett for the second one, and, and Hackett was open on a little corner route. So, again, you got personnel, but d- did you kind of see that as well? And, and, I mean, maybe it's not something to give them tons of credit for, but it was nice to see them try something different. Yeah, uh, so the goal line thing is uh, – very interesting. So I remember back in, I think this is when McDonald was coaching at the office coordinates. This is maybe, what, 2013, I'm guessing, 2014 maybe? Yeah. One of those two. I think it's 2013. Um, and everyone was getting upset about us not having, like, a tank package. And we were running these, like, kind of spread, option concepts inside of the five, inside of the ten. And it just was not working. Even on the sideline, we were like, yo, why don't we put a tank package in? Why don't we put a tank package in? And then sure enough, think back then, it starts working. Everyone's like, oh, great, that's awesome. But then, you know, fast forward a few years, you start running some tank formations that don't work, and everyone says, well, why aren't we going using a spread? Or why aren't we, you know, using these concepts and such and such? And the whole point is, yo, score. Find a way <laughs> to score and get in the end zone. And I think that's kind of what we're seeing here to, uh, today with Coach Babers versus uh, last week, they had the tank package. It didn't work. All of a sudden, you spread the ball out a little bit, have some option concepts in there, pitch it in, uh, find, way, find ways to mix up zone coverages behind goal line defenses. You find a guy in the corner. Uh, it's just a matter of being effective and what works, and it all boils down to what kind of game plan that you put in. If you're a team and you see inside of the 10- or 5-yard line that this team likes to man up, and may leave a tight end open, if you're not using that tight end or trying to find ways to scheme them open, that's a poor job on you. Uh, but in this instance, they're using plays that work against certain defense. Again, it's Western Michigan, so I, I, it's hard for me to uh, really evaluate how well things were executed because, again, talent could take over at any moment for Sega, and it did several times throughout the game. Uh, but the fact that it was effective, the fact that it seemed like they were taking advantage of mismatches that they seemed to uh, have – scout is on tape that was uh, comfortable or what's the word um it, it was encouraging to me to see so yeah there's certainly some oh nice to see that they were able to uh, find a way to score but and that's that's the that's the basis of all is finding a way to get in the end zone and it seemed like they had a beat on that today yeah i'm in agreement there i'm not totally buying in on it but it's you know they they ran something different and uh you know, and and maybe that heavy package would have worked against Western Michigan, but <laughs> but definitely not against probably. Clemson. Yeah, that's the thing, that, and that's the thing. It's like it, I think both instances it probably would have worked because it's Western Michigan. But when you're a goal in that goal line situation, everyone in the stadium just wants to see you get in the end zone. You yeah. know? So however you do it, that's the best way to get in the end zone. Yeah, yeah. Let's uh, let's flip sides of the ball because I thought the way. Syracuse made personnel decisions in the secondary was really interesting. Basically, uh, we saw Andre Sisco fill in at free safety. Excuse me, Antoine Cordy fill in at free safety for Andre Sisco, and Scoop Bradshaw yep. fill in at field corner for for Ify Malafonwu. Two guys with a lot of experience, but who've kind of been rele- relegated to backup roles. Um, how did you see those guys, you know, kind of play today? And and what was your thought on maybe that choice as opposed to shuffling the secondary in a different way? So I like the decision to have Cordy at safety and then just bring Scoop in at corner. One, because Cordy has uh, the most experience at free safety and Scoop the most experience at corner being a former starter. 
I think that was just the smart decision, going with experience rather than trying to shuffle and see where guys fit. Um, and then Scoop played against this team before, so he has a good feel for them at the corner position. I thought Cordy had a really nice game, though, at, at free safety. Um, flying around, making plays, seemed like he was all over the field. Kind of the Cordy that I was used to seeing when I was playing, 2014, 2015. Just a guy that flew around, that, you know, he was giant again. And that was uh, great to, to see. Uh, Scoop, I thought, did well as what did well, too. A uh, couple here and there, like, ah, Scoop, okay. But more often than not, I was saying to myself, I like the technique, the defense is looking okay, but there were just some, sometimes, like whether it was the angles taken, and this is the entire secondary, really, uh, angles taken to the ball, tackling, I think that was just a, a unit-wide problem for me rather than coverage itself. Um, we'd just like to see better angles taken and tackles actually wrapped up and uh, getting a guy down. Yeah, I thought Cordy played really well, too. Um, I think he had six tackles, a couple pass breakups, and, he yep. forced a fumble on the goal line. No knock on Antoine, but Bellamy gave that ball away. Um, <laughs> I, I, I kind of thought – go ahead, go ahead. I, I was going to say, uh, you know, when, uh, when you're getting hit, and this used to be a coaching point too, so I want to show some love really to Cordy here. Uh, when they say – or everyone says, oh, they gave it away, uh, you're taught as a DB, a really defender – if there's a, t- a chance where a guy's going down, he's ch- chances are he's going to release the ball so he can brace a little bit to go ahead and look for that punch. Um, there's times where if a guy is looking to extend, you know where the ball's going to be, go ahead and look for that punch. So I want to give Cordy some credit at least uh, for getting in there and finding a way to get that ball out because it is coaching. It is a little bit of technique, so I, I do want to give Cordy some credit. Uh, for getting that ball out. Did, did he get the ball? I'll have to go back and rewatch. I thought he just tripped him up, and then Bellamy tried to reach the ball over the line. Yeah, see, I, again, that's what I mean as far as making a play to get a guy down and him reaching out right. to score and whatnot. Just the fact that he was able to make a play to get a guy, I don't know, I don't think the clown knocked that out. I think he just stumbled and, and let the ball go. Yeah. But, Credit to Cordy for making a play on the guy. Uh, I, I again highlighting Cordy's effort. I thought he was flying around all game long. Chuck Bullard would be proud. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is a major bullet point there for sure. I kind of my my the one kind of combination I wondered about is: Do you move Trill Williams outside? And I know he's played nickel all this year. He played some field corner last year. Um, so yeah. I, w- I would have been interested to see him out there because I think Alan Stritzinger has actually done a really nice job at, at nickel as well. Yeah, I, I wouldn't have been mad had um, Trill been on the outside because, again, I think he can play really all, all three positions in the secondary, whether that's that corner, safety, or that nickel position. He's, he's looked good in every instance. I think at the nickel position, uh, the emphasis in keeping him there was, okay, we like what you're doing against the slide. We also like your ability on the outside to come in as an extra linebacker. I think he's a, a bit bigger than Switzinger is and kind of play that linebacker role and get in the mix, make some tackles, can try to get into the backfield uh, with some more blitz pressure. So schematically, I think he has the most value as a nickel corner versus putting him on the outside, especially when you have a guy like Scoop who can step in with all the experience that he has. Uh, and, and Scoop has played well. I think he's a good corner. I, I think he had the one bad game last year against Western Michigan. There's some tidbits here and there. Uh, down the field where he struggled. But I think Scoop is a good corner. corner. I've seen him in practice several times. So 
sticking him in there on the outside I thought was a great move because, again, I think Troy Williams has more value in that nickel position, making plays both as a run defender and a pass. So I, I wouldn't have been mad had he gone outside or even at the safety position, but I think schematically it was a great fit for Syracuse. Yeah, and it's interesting because I, I think Scoop kind of gets a bad rap a little bit from people who just watch him in games. Um, and selectively in games, right? You know, usually when he maybe does get beat or says that's when you're watching him. You don't see the reps that maybe are good. But it's funny because you yeah. talk behind the scenes and, you know, someone within the program, I remember telling me a couple years ago, oh, we think he's our best man corner. You know, so that, I mean, mm-hmm. that says a lot for a guy who is now really on the outside looking in. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it, it's interesting for a coach to say that, but uh, whenever you get that kind of praise, you, you want to stick to, uh, what you're doing te- technique-wise, I mean, it gives you that much more value to, to move you around in a defense. So, uh, especially if you're a young guy like that, too, to get that kind of compliment, uh, it kind of speaks to, to where you're at. So it tells me, really, that this secondary has the depth and the capability to do really whatever they want to do uh, personnel-wise uh, throughout the season. Yeah, no, I totally agree. That said, I'm sure they'll be happy to get Iffy and Cisco back, hopefully for the NC State game, because that's going to be a big yeah. one. You know, like you said, yeah. I, I don't know how much we really learned about the team this week, um, but I'll tell you this, that, that four-game stretch starting October 10th is at NC State, home against Pitt on Friday night, at Florida State, home against BC. I really think, you know, that's the stretch that's going to decide the season, and, you know, if you can go 3-1 and one there, you're, you're, you're bowl eligible with three to play at the end of the year. And um, it's just funny because this is – this is a team that really hasn't looked very good through four games. Like, for as good as they were last year, you just go down and say, man, the offensive line's not looking great. Wide receivers and running backs have had issues. Abdul Adams has even fumbled a couple times. Secondary's yep. banged up. They don't have McKinley. Linebackers are making the first-year mistakes. And yet, it's really not that hard to draw to draw a line to an eight-win season. It's, it's, it's weird considering, you know, covering Syracuse the last six years. Like, there really hasn't been a situation like this, has there? No, it hasn't. Um, and I think one is just the schedule. Like, there are plenty of games out there for them to truly get in that eight, nine win territory. We're starting to pull back on the 10 wins idea just because of what they've shown us. But the schedule is still giving them so many games and opportunities here. We are saying, okay, they'll be bowl eligible uh, by middle of the year, third quarter of the season, and they'll still have three games left to go. Uh, and that tells me, you know, come on, there's so much, so much opportunity there. Uh, my fear that is, is that this team, like, bought the hype. As in, uh, there's plenty of stuff externally, guys like me out there who were saying, oh, 10-win season, the is going to be great, this guy's going to be great. And they buy the hype just off of the uh, strength of last season, but all of a sudden get out there and realize, oh, it, it's, it's different. This is, this is a real game. This, this is, what, this is uh, what goes on. I um, mean, I will say... Uh, guys who are stepping into roles who were a backup last year and are starting this year, uh, there's certainly a change. Uh, I noticed it uh, when I came in. When I was a sophomore, uh, coming in, rotating into the corner, uh, it was really easy. I don't know how to explain it. It was easy for me coming in because I kind of had nothing to lose here. It was, I'm the backup, you know, guys aren't really, especially the backup corner, no one's expecting you to really do all that. Well, you just hope you don't get beat. Um, all of a sudden, it was really easy to take risks and go after the ball, uh, take shots at defenders because there's nothing to lose. But all of a sudden, as a starter, some of the weight of the responsibility of playing well and playing to a certain standard every play 
it's very easy to, to welt into that, especially when things don't go well. Uh, if you're a young guy, a sophomore, a junior, maybe even a freshman, trying to take on some of that responsibility, things don't go well, knowing what kind of external pressure is out there to succeed, um, and knowing the internal pressure as well with the uh, La Familia tapes going on and a lot of guys seeing all these new stuff coming about inside the locker room because you guys just won 10 games in the bowl game. Uh, there's certainly a pressure there. I'm so, I was worried that maybe players – uh, took to the head and didn't quite uh, prepare for. So going into this, this last stretch of the season, really the, uh, I guess it would be the second, third quarter of the season, um, my hope is that after this Western Michigan game and after this Sacred Heart game, uh, that they find a way to uh, manage that responsibility and kind of uh, relax a bit and fit into their roles. I think Coach Davis talked about a click a few years ago where all of a sudden the game plan just clicks, they get it, they understand it. Uh, I'm hoping there's a, a very similar effect for Syracuse this year, especially with the mix of experienced guys they have. So hoping they all get on the same pace soon. So uh, And at this point in the season, it, it needs to happen quickly. Yeah, reading between the lines of what Dino Babers kind of said during camp and early the season regarding buying into the hype, like he was very, maybe not very subtly, like I think pretty clearly trying to like push against that, you know, the 2019 team is different than the 2018 team. You know, we can't look back. We got different guys on the roster, and, you know, even there really aren't that many new faces, but I think he could kind of tell, um, you know, how guys might receive that. He's been in coaching for, you know, 30-plus years. Yep. Um, I definitely, fam- family members of players that I talked to kind of wondered, you know, everyone loves the La Familia thing inside, but you wonder – if that gets in guys' heads a little bit. And, you know, maybe it's a little bit unfair to criticize them this early. Um, but, I mean, the fact is they're 2-2, two and two and, and, and there has been kind of some disappointing aspects of that. But, you know, time will tell. Uh, let's jump into some fan questions. We actually got a, a really good uh, good group of questions here from, uh, from, from Michael Humans. Is Kendall Coleman healthy? Seems like we haven't seen the impact we were expecting. Notice Kingsley, Kingsley Jonathan in today. You know, I, I think he's healthy. I actually thought he had a really nice game against Clemson. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's hard when you don't have Chris Slayton, and um, teams are, <laughs> are trying to take him and Allen Robinson away, frankly. And I think you're seeing the, the SU defensive front try and create ways to get those guys one-on-one matchups if it's shifting one of the interior guys or bringing a linebacker from a certain side. And um, I think it's just taking time for, for that whole unit. Again, you've got first-year starting linebackers there to figure out, well, how do we manipulate situations where those guys are able to make plays? Um, is there anything you've kind of seen in, in that regard as far as you know, Kendall and Alton probably getting more attention this year? No, I think you made a great point that Chris Slayton not being there and taking up double teams in the middle, uh, creating one-on-ones in the outside for Alton Robinson and Kendall Coleman. And now that they have the spotlight on them, teams are trying to find ways to take them away, whether it's adding a tight end to chip or using a running back to double up on defensive end. So it's definitely harder for them. They're certainly straining more uh, to get upfield and have the same effect as they did last year. And as you're taking that much more bang on the inside, man, it's, it certainly wears on your body, and it may slow some guys down, you know, throughout the game. But uh, again, I don't, I don't think anyone's injured in, in that sense. But there's certainly um, an aspect where they're slowing down just because of how much attention they're receiving and uh, the the amount of bodies that they have to get through just to get to the quarterback. Yeah, and I'll say this: I actually think Kingsley Jonathan's been playing well. I think he had a pressure late in the game on one of the fourth downs that was good, and then on the inside, I think Curtis Harper's taken some major steps forward the last uh, the last few weeks. I thought he was pretty rough. 
week one at Liberty. Um, but, you know, he's, he's definitely in his gap much more often, and, and he's made a few plays behind the line of scrimmage. So, you know, I think that front's still doing a, pr- a pretty good job. Um, from Captain Patrick, can you compare how the O-line, O-line looks now versus Liberty? We kind of touched on that, and it's really hard until we go back and watch the film. Um, I, I, you know, I, I think it looks like they're in the right place a little bit more. This is even from last week to this week. But, again, I think jury's still out on that one. Um, Michael Kelly, this is a good one for Julian. Who is responsible for covering the tight end in the flat? The touchdown play was a perfectly executed rub route, but the other wide open plays are vexing. Who am I supposed to yell at through my TV? <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm running through my, my my plays here. The tight end touchdown. Uh, this who was it to? I. <sighs> I'm trying to run I, through the play here. Okay. Uh, schematically, the way, okay, so the way this works is typically in the flat, right? You either have a linebacker responsible or a corner, right? And the only way that defenses get, is rarely, rarely a safety. It happens, but it's rare. Typically, though, uh, it, just based on the coverage, no matter what it is, you either have a corner who's, who's uh, to the flat or you'll kind of have, like, whatever it is, an oxy call or whatever to, to switch a linebacker and he'll have the flat, and the cornerback will take the deep route, right? Um, in that instance, it's just it's a uh, it's a communication error. Sometimes it's a linebacker, sometimes it's a corner. I can't say for certain because I haven't I can't remember this play. Uh, but it, it's more often than not, it's one of two guys. And if it's wide open, there was most certainly a communication problem because it's always accounted. The flat is one of the spots in the field that are always accounted for. And it, you typically, if there's no one there, I'm thinking of the Maryland touchdown right now. If there's no one there, chances are it was a communication error where the linebacker in the corner didn't talk enough and allowed the guy to, to leak out and get into the end zone. Yeah, I'm, I'm, it took me a second to think back to the play, but I want to say it was late second quarter and the tight end motioned left side to right side. And I, I think you're probably right. I think Frederick was passing him off potentially to someone else. I'll have to go back and see who that was or whether Frederick tried to follow him all the way across. I don't know. But um, but I, I think you saw Western Michigan try and attack that communication aspect, right, and say, hey, you know, you guys need to figure out who you're guarding. We're snapping the ball. And, and, and by the way, it's a, it's a rub route too. So, you know, if you're a couple steps behind, that's that. No, absolutely. And you're, you're creating a, a bunch effect there, especially when you motion over and – it, this is terrible to say as a DB. Um, I hope my friends don't hear this. But, like, talking is annoying. Because <laughs> you have to, you're thinking now, and all of a sudden you're trying to reprocess what you're getting. And the smart thing, you know, what smart football players do is when you see a motion or you see a shift, you should reset, erase everything you just saw, and then play the defense required to cover said offense that you're now seeing. So when you get a motion, a shift, anything like that, the smart thing to do that, you know, the great football players I've been around, they reset all of a sudden. They say, okay, this is what we have. It's a bunch formation. If we got a two tight end set on one side with the wing. What are we doing here? Then you go ahead and you go with the, uh, with the communication. You're saying, hey, I've got this, i got this, whatever the call is. And typically, uh, at least from my experience, especially in uh, both the NFL and in college, a lot of times against bunch formations, you'll see teams check to cover two. Uh, just because it's the same thing and it's nothing to think about, where the linebacker in the corner can easily communicate who has the flat versus who has the hook curl, um, and then the safety is right there over top, and there's not much to think about or talk about. 
Um, in this instance, I'm willing to bet there was a more complex call where I'm almost 99% certain the corner should have been to the flat, uh, but the, for whatever reason, miscommunication causes another error. So that's something we've seen from Syracuse uh, for, you know, wait like two seasons now. We've, we've seen this uh, flat just be wide open. So something that is certainly going to be covered in the film room, but in that instance, just to answer the question, more often than not, the corner has the flat. Yeah, really good insight there. Um, I definitely learned a little bit. Uh, last couple we got from James Austin, who's uh, been really supportive of the podcast. Thanks, man. Really appreciate that. Uh, the first one we touched on a little bit, why do you think Trill isn't working more on the outside uh, with Allen or Cordy at the nickel, especially with Iffy out? You know, we talked to kind of about the experience Scoop Bradshaw brings. I'll also say this. I, I think the staff is always looking at matchups, so part of that is you want Trill in the box, and part of it's the personnel that the other team has. I, I wonder if Dwayne Eskridge didn't get hurt um, you know, in that first quarter, a guy who played the first series on both sides of the ball for Western Michigan, maybe you do put Trill out there and maybe you do give him a shot on him. But, um, you know, I think Scoop played pretty well and, and, and clearly that's the way Brian Ward's leaning. Uh, other question from James, it seems as if the running backs are not allowed to bounce a run and must stay between the tackles. If so, do you feel this limits the abilities of the running back and will it hurt recruiting moving forward? You know, I would probably have to rewatch to really get a better feel for that. I think Mo had a couple, a couple nice changes of directions in the box. Anything that kind of springs to your mind, Julian? Uh, so this is an interesting question. I've actually uh, my player intrigue kind of stopped at this point. I've never actually asked the running back coach, uh, "Do you require you guys to always hit the hole, hit the hole, uh, the way the play is designed?" Uh, but I do remember from Coach Wheatley, uh, the freedom was hit the hole as designed, but if it's covered, go somewhere else. You know, find where the hole is and go. Um, and again, this is a, a zone blocking scheme for Syracuse. They rarely go hat on hat or uh, the typical, you know, power run scheme. So the way you read that is you're designed to hit a certain hole, but there are certainly areas where you can cut back. Uh, the issue for most of Coach Baber's time here with Syracuse and the offensive line is there aren't there isn't much room to cut back in. Yeah, that's enough. Whether that's the linebackers or the corners to just track you down if you try to bounce a run to the outside. Ninety nine percent of Syracuse's runs are towards the inside, unless it's like a QB read reading tackle to bounce out. Otherwise, they're supposed to rush up their gap. And no, it won't hurt recruiting because you're telling guys this, that's how they're taught in high school as well. They typically come from similar uh, uh, rushing schemes. So on the, if you're telling a guy, yeah, we want you to run this gap, hit the A gap, or hit the B gap here, if it's closed off, no coach in their right mind is going to say, run into the back of a guy or run right into the blitz. You're going you're gonna to allow your man to rush where the hole is. Um, we saw Moniel do that a bit. Today, actually, um, and it was effective. Again, I think Western Michigan is a much slower team, and I think Mo Neal and some of the other backs have tried to do so against Clemson, and we saw what happened. They were just a much faster, uh, more physical defensive line and linebacking group. I think the blitzes frustrated the offensive line a bit, and they really shut down every single gap. They had great gap integrity, uh, and that's the problem that you run into uh, when you've got this zone-blocking scheme. Sure, you may have a whole design, and even if you have a chance to, back, to, to cut back, teams are still holding great gap integrity against them, and there hasn't been much cutback room. So we saw that again today because Syracuse had a more dominant uh, 
offensive line, bigger guys. Um, we probably will again against the Holy Cross. But teams that have good defensive linemen who can maintain their gap, uh, it's going to be hard to bounce back, bounce outside, or bounce a, a cut from the A gap to an opposite side B gap. It, it, it's just a difficult thing to do, and uh, I don't think coaches tell their guys this is the only gap you can hit. Uh, I think it's more of a, a factor of the gaps are just full, and guys are trying their best to find some yardage. Yeah, good question there. Small, small little addition for me. Tyrone Wheatley was a, a first round pick in the NFL draft. So if there's a guy, you know, maybe he's a guy who thinks he can he can bounce a run out and no knock on Mo and Abdul and all those guys, but uh, certainly a special player in his own right, Tyrone Wheatley. So um, thanks for the questions as always. That's a wrap for us. Um, thanks for listening. Please subscribe on whatever platform you use for podcasts. Give us five stars. And if you'd like to purchase advertising, please contact Dylan Carpenter at 315-470-6069. For Julian Wiggum and Stephen Bailey, We will talk to you next week previewing the Holy Cross game.